right, you ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our seventh podcast. The XFL draft has now taken place. The draft was an exciting time for the league and followed closely by both players and fans. Over a two-day period, a quarterback was assigned to each of the eight XFL teams. This was followed by 70 rounds of draft picks. A total of 568 football players were elated when they were told they were invited to be part of an XFL roster. However, hundreds more were left with only a faint hope they may still be picked in an upcoming supplemental draft. In this podcast, we will introduce two guests, XFL draft pick Andre Williams and XFLboard.com New York Guardians team reporter Mike Mitchell. Andre Williams, a former Boston College, New York Giants, San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers running back, was drafted by the Houston Roughnecks in the skill players round of the XFL draft. We will talk to Andre about his football career, his future with the Roughnecks, and his unique philosophy of life. Then we will talk with Mike Mitchell. He will help us analyze the draft, the draft format, the quarterback allocations, and something he refers to as the case of the disappearing tears. I call this podcast 568 Players. It's about coaches making important decisions to draft who they feel is ready to play the game of football. About players who have been drafted and now begin to prepare to play the game of football. And about fans who enjoy the game of football. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Andre Williams to the podcast. Andre was a standout running back for the Boston College Eagles and was a Heinzman finalist in 2013. After college, he played in the NFL for the New York Giants and the Chargers. Now, after a short time away from football, he first worked out in an XFL showcase last summer, and now he finds himself drafted as a member of the Houston Roughnecks. Welcome, Andre. Thank you for having me, Michael. Appreciate the opportunity to show up on your uh, podcast. Yeah, it's great to have you. First of all, I'd like to congratulate you on being drafted to the Roughnecks. Thank you. Uh, it's a great opportunity just to be able to come back to the game and uh, in the fashion that it's working out. I'm, I'm just, you know, very thankful to the uh, Houston organization for, you know, rolling the dice on, uh, you know, a running back that. If it was me, I would do it. <laughs> I uh, I feel like uh, I have a a way of of running the football that that would be attractive to uh, any team. So I'm looking forward to just you know getting my cleats back in the ground and doing what I know how to do. So how long have you been a running back? I mean, since I've been interested in the game, that's the only position that I ever really paid attention to uh, was. The running back. My parents are Jamaican, um, so you know I didn't grow up watching football. I started watching football when my older brother uh, started playing in in high school, and he was a running back. And um, you know that's that's really where I, I got the number from. Forty four. He was forty four, and uh, I just always wanted to pick up where he left off. And you know when I discovered the game through him, then I started watching. Uh, professionally looking at running backs like uh, Tiki Barber and uh, Chris Smart and um, those guys. And then, you know, later on, Adrian Peterson. 
I uh, just always loved that position. So what high school did you play for? I went to two different high schools. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, um, but I, I ended up moving out of New Jersey after eighth grade, and I was playing down in, uh, in Georgia at a high school called, um, that was Harrison High School in Kennesaw, Georgia. And then after my sophomore year, I uh, finished up high school in Pennsylvania, and I went to Parkland High School in Allentown. It was funny because I uh, ended up playing in the same kind of offense, even though I was in two different high schools. Both schools were in the wing T offense, and um, neither school runs the wing T now, but it was it was very popular back then, so I played uh, the fullback position in the wing T, and I also played the uh, the tailback. So I got to experience, you know, going straight up and moving side to side, and, you know, it helped me uh, expand my mind as a running back early on with that kind of an offense. So after high school, you committed to Boston College. Yes, I, uh, I committed to B.C., uh, my junior year of high school, and um, I picked BC because I liked the conference. Um, being able to play in the ACC, I figured I'd be up and down the coast. I liked the schools uh, in the ACC, and now the conferences have started switching up so much. <laughs> I don't really know who's where anymore, but I know, you know, we played Clemson. We played Florida State. Um, NC State, sometimes North Carolina, Duke, uh, all of those schools. Um, it, it was I thought it was a, it was a great conference and a great opportunity to go to a school like BC. Um, you know, I always uh, valued my education. I didn't I didn't exactly enjoy college um, all that much. Um, I, I, I I'm an entrepreneur and I, I got a right. business mindset, so I. You know, being in the books all the time, it was it was it wasn't like it was hard. You know, I graduated this semester early, got my degree and left, but I was enjoying playing football. So you were in college for the football? I mean, I was in college because that's what kids should right. do. Right. Uh, I think it's it's great to be able to leave home and go and, and have that experience. Um, and you know, it's not always so much about the books but about learning to play the game, right. um, not just the game of football, but the game of life, fitting into a system, learning how to network and interact with people and, you know, be a part of something greater than yourself. That, that college experience is uh, very important. So you're a philosophical kind of guy, aren't you? I, you could say that. <laughs> well, that's, say that. Yeah, that's interesting. I like to philosophize with my friends at times. Well, that's good. I'm sure they enjoy that. So back to college. You, in the 2013, your senior season with the uh -huh. Boston College Eagles, you put up 22,177 rushing yards and an average of 6.1 yards per carry with 18 touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And that set you into, you were one of the six finalists for the Heisman in 2013. Yes, it was a heck of a year. It really was. There was a lot going on at BC in my time there, especially with the football team. 
It might have been three or four running back coaches, five different offensive coordinators, two different head coaches. But, you know, through all of those changes and evolutions, um, you know, it, it came together at the end. And it was that's why I, I you know, I believe in that college experience so much, even though people are always in it for, you know, their own reasons. I think everybody should have the opportunity to go through it because. I learned something um, during my time playing ball at BC because there was a time I was I was ready to leave. You know, after senior year, I was like, "Man, this is crazy. I, I should. It would be easier someplace else." And I thought about it. I was like, "What are the pros and cons? You know, if I leave, I'm going to spend an extra year in school, and I really don't want to do that. But I also want to be successful at this." this game of football, I want to move on and do the, the, the next thing, go higher. And so I'm like, is, is moving on the right thing, going someplace else? And, you know, I slept on it. I prayed about it. And God told me something. He said, Dre, if you are who you say you are, you can do it here. And I stayed. And then my junior year, we won two games. So... <laughs> I was like, man, it's too late now. I might as well finish it out. And, you know, that, that was the senior year that came around. We had the right group of guys, you know, some guys that were just tired of losing and, and tired of, you know, walking around on campus. And it's the hockey guys that are the dudes. But we're the football team. And everybody's looking at us like, we ain't shit. And we were tired of it. We wanted to do something different. And we just had a couple things come together. Coach Adazio came in, got a different strength and conditioning coach. We got strong. And we were just older. You know, the difference between an 18-year-old body and a 21, 22-year-old body is it's the ocean. So, you know, it was just our time. And we came together and we did something great. You know, we ran power football. It was power and it was counter. Every way you could chop it up, we had a receiver. His name was Alex Amadon, who made all four years. And he uh, decided to move on and be a Navy SEAL uh, after um, football. But it was me, and it was him, and it was Chase Reddick. It was that online, and we just we ate people up. They knew what we were going to do. We were going to do a little play action. We was going to throw it down the field to Amadon. He was going to move the change, but we was going to run the football. And <laughs> we, we, we did it against everybody. Um, you know, Clemson, Florida State, all of those teams. And Florida State won the, the national championship that year. Jameis Winston, you know, won the Heisman that year. I was there with him, Johnny Manziel, um, Trey Mason. Life was moving real fast at that point, but it was a lot of fun. We had a heck of a year. So when you were asked what you'd do if you won the Heisman, you said that you'd chop it up and give peace to each of, of your offensive linemen. Is that right? I probably said something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it, it, it definitely was a team effort. Uh, physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, there was more going on than I could even say. Because, like I said, we went through so much change with that program. Um, the program is much farther along than it was 
than we than uh, when I was playing, and I'm I'm so proud of that because I feel like I, I was a, a catalyst for that in a way. After college, uh, you were selected in the fourth round by the New York Giants, and then in your rookie year, you were the Giants' leading rusher with 721 yards and seven touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, and I caught about 14 passes for Mr. Eli for 100-something yards. Can't leave that part out because that was my knock that I, I couldn't catch the ball, and maybe I couldn't, but damn it, I caught some balls for Mr. Eli. I, I grew, you know, to me, and I got a hole in my heart from the Giants, man. That was that was my first experience, my first love with, with the NFL game. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it came and went. There, it's, it's a lot of things that go on with the roster and with the business of football. It becomes a business. You know, it's not so much about um, camaraderie and it's not so much about, you know, a great team win and your brothers and all of that. You know, it's about the, 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 the it's about entertainment. Um, it's about superstars. It's about money. You know, some people get to ride the wave for a while. Some people get to ride it for a short time. I was one of those guys that got to ride it for a short time, but, yeah. um, you know, I was still able to get in there and, and leave my mark and, you know, continue to build on what I started. So, uh, like I said, I got a hole in my heart because I thought I would be there longer, but it was two years and everything happens for a reason. I continued along with the Chargers and, you know, if I really got in depth on what was going on on a personal level, it, it, it made, it made so much sense how I ended up you know, with the Giants and then left to the Chargers, but that's the story for another day. Right, and then you had some bad luck when you were with the Chargers because you broke your you broke your wrist, and that that ended your time with the Chargers essentially. Yeah, I I actually uh, tore some ligaments in my wrist. There, tore okay. a ligament. I don't know exactly what happened, but they they said a, a clean break would have been better. <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, you tore the ligaments and you know had to. You know, spend some time recovering from that, but it it, it came at uh, came at the perfect time. You know, because at the time I was I was going through uh, a divorce uh, with my ex wife. There was some things right. going on between me and her and my son where I needed to step away from the game. That's really what 2018 was about. It was about healing and you know closing some doors in life that needed to be closed. And, um, you know, that's, that's part of the game that uh, the fans don't really get to see or understand. Yeah, of course. And, you know, a lot of these guys, they, they're drinking beers and they're looking at the stats and, you know, watching the halftime show, and they don't get to really see what is going on on that field or what's not going on on that field with the players. And that's why I think it's important what you guys are doing with XFL Board because you are creating another avenue um for these kind of stories to be told and understood so that the fans have a more personal experience with these players that they're looking up to or looking down on however you want to look at it you know i agree with you andre that's important for for the fans to hear more about the players than what they see on the field or what they see in the stat sheet 
and mm-hmm. uh, I think you're right on the mark there. So it's great that you're great that you're saying that. Now, going to the XFL, though, you finally had a you had a chance to work out last summer for the at the New York Showcase in the summer. Yeah, and they yeah, took a look yeah, at you. Yeah, yeah, they did. And you know what's funny? I went over to this New York Showcase, and I realized what they're doing is they're creating like a. That is that's the Giants. That's an old Giants team that they have over there. You know, the head coach was the offensive coordinator under Coughlin. Um, yeah. The running back coach was was under Coughlin from BC to uh, Jacksonville to the Giants, and even the equipment manager was the equipment manager with the Giants when I was there before the whole Eli scandal. So it was so, like it was like a reunion when he went there. It it was. It was, and that is why I really thought that's where I was going to end up. Yeah. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. And um, it, it wasn't New York that called me yesterday. It was Houston. And I am, like I said, so very thankful uh, to be a Houston Roughneck. And if anybody really knows me, they're not just drinking beers and watching the stats. They actually saw how I play. And I only yeah. know one way to play. I'm a roughneck for real. Man. So you belong I there? Think, I belong there. <laughs> yeah. I belong there. I think names they, they, they names and numbers, they, they're deeper than we give them credit for sometimes. And they're saying something with that name, Houston Roughneck. Yeah. So I'm going to embody that. You know, if, if a lot of times in the beginning they would ask me, you know, what are your strengths and characteristics and, and weaknesses as a running back, I would say as a weakness, I only know one way to play the game, but you could look at it as a weakness or as a strength because when you ask me how do I play the game, what is it that makes me stand out as a running back? I'm a big body. I'm going to play somewhere between 220 and 230. I'm big. Right. And I run big and I run with concussive force. So I like to play a mind game with that defense. I'm I'm really looking forward to getting back on the field. <laughs> that I took like... some time off and I, you know, dealt with life. I had some kids. I spent some money. I bought a house and, you know, I love my, my two sons. They are two perfect little boys. I, I got married, got divorced, got remarried again to the woman I was supposed to be married to, right. you know, and, um, now it's time to get back to ball. You were Houston's ninth pick mm-hmm. in the skill round. Um, do you know how many running backs were selected by Houston in the draft? There were <clears throat> two other running backs they picked in that phase one. And I think I saw two more in the open draft. So yeah. Yeah, it was a total of like five. That's five. right. That's what I count five. And it looked like. They only picked up running backs and receivers. They didn't pick up any tight ends. And I don't know everything yet about Coach June Jones. And right. Doing my research now to figure out who's who and, you know, where everybody's been at. And, you know, trying to follow all my teammates on Instagram and, uh, you know, just uh-huh. to come apart. Um, but uh, they say this this guy, is, he's an offensive mastermind. So <laughs> that makes me smile. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Yeah. So there's a mini camp in December. That'll be in Houston. Mm-hmm. Then a combined training camp in January. 
with all XFL teams, and I think that might be in Houston too, is from what I've heard. That's what I heard. And so that's, that's a lot of training camps coming up. So are you excited about that? Oh, yeah. Man, <laughs> the NFL, it's really, it's this short season that the fans see, but it's really a, a, a year-round experience for the players. Right. Um, and I mean the coaches too, but this, what we're doing here, a couple weeks, go ahead, get your Christmas and your uh, New Year's, Come back for another couple weeks, you know, get your little break before uh, the season starts, and then you got your your, your ten game season is 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 very uh, condensed um, compared yeah. to that NFL time. So, hey, <laughs> bring on whatever. I'm 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 down for it. So you've uh, you mentioned that you're an entrepreneur, and I read online that you're uh, we're working on a compression shirt. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm a tinkerer, so I like to build things. It was a compression shirt, but it was a, a, a protective piece. And, you know, I flew out to Oregon, worked with a company that does some create different foams that have capabilities against okay. projectiles and ballistics. And we were building something that was an augmentation uh, to my shoulder pad because when I was in college, I had uh, tore my labrum and there was a point where I, you know, I got it fixed, but just the way I play, I kind of just jostled that thing too much to the point where my shoulder was subluxing on um, my, my rookie season of football. And I needed something to, you know, help me protect myself a little bit more, help me play a little bit better. So I was building something, but it, I ended up, Resolving that issue, you know, a different route. I, I met somebody who he's, he's my shifu, which is is it means sensei, but in Chinese. And he he's a martial artist. He don't own a dojo, but he he mastered a bunch of different martial arts and then you know combined them um, and made his own martial art, which he calls daikido, which means big energy art. That is also a healing art as well as, you know, a fighting uh, technique. And I didn't learn the, the, the fighting techniques, really not fighting techniques. It's about disabling people. Um, but I didn't learn that stuff. I just learned the fitness part of it. And that, I worked with him for 23 days when I first met him and never had a problem with my shoulder again for the next three years that I was playing the game. So. That thing is very powerful, and I've been studying it um, ever since. And that is that is how I train. I really don't uh, lift weights in the off season. I lift weights when they tell me to. But this uh, martial art is about body weight mastery. So that is how I uh, I kind of put that project down. And so um, I do other things. I'm into apparel now. I uh, I have a denim company. I uh, I started with shoes, actually, but then when I built the shoe, I realized I could wear anybody's shoes, but I couldn't wear jeans um, because I just had these running back thighs, and nobody is making a fit for guys that got a normal size waist but big thighs. Interesting. So I yeah. ended up making um, jeans, an athletic fit, denim. So what's the um, name of your denim company? It is AW Selvage Denim Co. 
Um, but the, the denim line itself is uh, the AW is it stands for all weather, all weather workers and travelers. That's my premium denim line. And you sell I don't it know on, what will come after that, but you, that's what you I sell it online for. or yeah, I got a, I got a, a, a website online. What's that website? Um, the website is called uh, DK Shinko. Um, it's it's uh, D A E K S H I N C O dot com. That sounds good. Yeah, it's athletic fit. It's athletic fit Japanese velvet denim. Interesting. So, you know, it's 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 a niche in the market that is not being explored. Well, you are an entrepreneur. Then you're right about that, Andre. Yeah. Uh, it's been great talking with you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much, Mike. And I just know that uh, the Houston Roughnecks are just going to love your uh, your personality, and your, of course, they're probably going to love the Houston fans. Are probably going to love your running more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to wish you all the best in the upcoming training camps. And myself, like many others, can't wait to see you running the ball for the Houston Roughnecks next February. I'd like to welcome Mike Mitchell to the podcast. Mike is a New Yorker, and in his younger days, Mike came to XFL board as a reporter for the New York New Jersey Hitmen. Now, Mike reports on the New York Guardians. Of course, most of you know him for his insightful articles he has written about the XFL in general. Thanks for agreeing to join us today, Mike. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, first, let's talk about the draft. Would you say it's true that the draft was the largest undertaking for the league so far? I uh, definitely would say that. I think they approached it in, a, in kind of the same fashion they've approached every area of the league thus far. Very methodical. It wasn't until late in the process that we found out that it was going to be a positional draft. And, um, and, I think it was, and I think they had a short time frame between the end of the NFL preseason and the draft itself to get the talent pool, the best possible talent they can get into that pool and uh, to get them to come on board with the league. So, and the coaching staffs did a good job. The front offices did a good job of, you know, getting their game plan together, using the showcases, scouting all the leagues out there and scouting the available talent that they, and I think they're very happy with, with how everything went. Yeah. Many people remarked how they really liked the draft format, didn't they? Yeah, it was it was fun. It, they could have done an open 70 round draft. And I and I think, you know, and it would have been long. Obviously, the, the draft itself, two days ended up being, I don't know, 14 hours or so. You can only imagine how long it would have been if they would have highlight packages for every player. But, you know, I think I think basically the way it worked out for the, the league and the teams is that they were able to scout specific positions and then set boards for that position and it simplified things for them. And it made it more fun. It made it more fun to focus on specific areas rather than having it wide open. And then the way they structured it in terms of the uh, the snake draft and giving, it was set up for parity and to allow it to not have one team in the open draft picking first in every single round and having a distinct advantage over, say, the team that picks last in every round. So with a new league, I think they chose the proper format, and I think it worked out well. Yeah, it seemed really evenly uh, uh, even between all the teams in their ability to draft players that they needed. 
if I was to rate the draft myself, I would give them a B plus, and only because of the presentation of the draft and how they stopped broadcasting the picks in the final round. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was less than ideal, especially for the draft junkies like myself, like Greg Parks, like people who just love these football leagues, CFL, arena, NFL, college. Um, you love the anticipation between pick from pick. You love sitting there. And the I was nine years old, started following the NFL draft, and I used to sit there, pen and pad, writing down every pick, well into when it was 12 rounds. So um, they're not, I'll, I'll admit, that's not the majority, but uh, you really look forward to that part of it. So I would have preferred that they went by order and pick by pick in the final. It didn't need necessarily to be uh, a live video stream, but just constantly monitoring the draft and being able to see the picks, that would have been nice. But, you know, the league, for whatever reason, uh, chose to uh, finish up the draft, the final phase of the draft, kind of, I don't want to say in secrecy, because maybe that's not the proper term, but uh, it wasn't open to the public. Yeah, you know, I, I have a theory in in what they did is that my thought is that they were trying to stretch out their social media muscles by having the picks relayed by each team's social media people. Yeah, they definitely wanted, you know, because people who were wanted to make it as simple as possible were just going to XFL.com or the XFL's YouTube channel and just monitoring it from there. Every once in a while, you check in on the social media accounts to see what the teams post the picks of their players. But with the live stream going off, like you just mentioned, what people had to do was jump back and forth through the social media sites to see who Tampa selected or Los Angeles, or et cetera. So, right. yeah, I think there could have been something to that. It, definitely part of it, maybe not the whole part of it, but definitely part of it for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think maybe it showed the league what they need to work on maybe in the social media department because it was kind of uneven uh the different teams had an uneven presentation yeah there were some teams that were actually there were some teams that were actually you know they they could tell and they could sense on social media that some fans were disappointed so they tried their best as they could like uh i'll give the seattle dragons credit they were posting their picks they were put lumping all their picks in at once they were they were trying to update it some teams just took the day off and just waited till the entire my team actually the new york guardians just waited until the draft process was over before posting their picks, you know, I, you know, it's a new league. So you got, you got a lot of working parts on a lot of people working on that day. So it's, it's not going to run as smoothly as it should. I didn't, I'm not upset about the way it was handled, but I probably would have handled it differently, but it's easy to say when you're not in the mix and having to, having to, uh, to get all these parts moving at, at the same time and get everything working and functioning perfectly at the same time. So, that right. is, it's, so a, it's a nitpick, but it's a slight nitpick. It's not the end of the world kind of nitpick, but something that could have been done a little bit better. But I agree with you. Your original assessment of it, like B plus, is, I think is a good grade for the overall aspect of it. Right. So it, it did, like you said, it did allow the league to test out their, uh, their communications and, uh, you know, improve them before the season starts. Now, let's talk about quarterbacks. Now, eight were assigned, one to each team. Right. Do we have Do we have any idea how these quarterbacks were assigned? Well, the league has been in negotiations with any of the best available quarterbacks that have been out there. And I think one of the things that we noticed as XFL followers leading into the draft is Oliver Luck tried to temper uh, expectations for the level of quarterback that was going to be assigned 
So because I think they're not done in that department, and I think Oliver made it clear. Um, so in his interview there with uh, this is the XFL show and other avenues, he's made it clear that the league is still in negotiations and will still look to add quarterbacks because they realize how important that position is for the quality of play in the league. I think the league ended up with the best available that they that they negotiated with, um, that they were able to get to agree to come to the league. And but I still feel like they feel like they can even continue to improve upon the list that they got. I think overall they got a good group, though. I agree with you. It is a good group and it uh, it's representative of what uh, what the XFL had available or what they could make available to themselves at that time. So you're right about that. Definitely. Now, each team got a quarterback. Did the teams get to pick their quarterback or did they negotiate it? Yeah, what, what ended up happening was every, the the entire XFL, the brain trust for every team and the league itself met up and each team gave the league a priority list of quarterbacks that they wanted from one to 10 or one to eight, I guess in this case. And the league tried as best as they could to sign those particular quarterbacks. So Philip Walker, who ended up with the Roughnecks, may have been in their top three. He might not have been on every team's top three, but he may have been on the list. So every quarterback that was assigned was on an individual an individual team's priority list. So those are all guys that those coaching staffs, those front offices wanted. So I think it was in a unique process how that worked out. There are probably some quarterbacks that are in the NFL right now that a lot of these teams wanted, but obviously if they're not available, they're not available. It'd be interesting to hear, uh, and a probable, I probably will never hear, but it'd be interesting to hear from teams that did not get who they wanted as a quarterback, which may have been indicative of them picking a quarterback early in the skills round of the draft. Yeah, and you know that a lot of people speculate. That's what fans do on football leagues: speculate that maybe of course. Houston is in fact one of those teams, because people feel that maybe that's. I mean, to, they had Philip Walker on their priority list, so that means they wanted him on their roster. They wanted to protect and make sure that he was on their roster. But they did go ahead and take Connor Cook fairly quickly with the second pick overall in the skill draft. So that leads me to believe, and who knows, they may not be done. As far as quarterbacks go, we'll find out with the supplemental draft and as the league moves forward towards uh, February. But they may not be done at that position. So, you know, there are a lot of possibilities. Um, one that comes to mind immediately is Chad Kelly, who, um, ironically enough, or I guess June Jones coached his uncle, Jim Kelly, with the Houston Gamblers. and just makes me feel like that would be kind of like a storybook move there. If Chad Kelly ended up with the Roughnecks. But, but for the time being, that's speculative. But for the time being, it's Philip Walker and Connor Cook. But they certainly went quarterback immediately. Some teams only drafted two quarterbacks overall in the entire draft. So, uh, so it's they. So they obviously were happy with the lot that they had. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting how the strategy ended up working out. And like you mentioned, what these teams really wanted and what they still may look to improve upon, specifically at that quarterback position. They might be actually planning to draft another quarterback in the supplemental draft with the hopes that there's some some new talent available. Yeah, there's two situations I can think of off the top of my head. The first one is St. Louis. Now, St. Louis got a quarterback there that not a lot of people are aware of in Jordan Teamo, but he's a terrific young talent with huge upside. He was second in the SEC in passing last year behind Tua. He's a junior college kid that only played major college ball for two years. So he's not 
uh, perfectly developed quarterback, but he has a lot of talent. So I can see where St. Louis liked him a lot. But noticing their draft, they took Brogan Rowe back as his back quarterback. And this is another young quarterback that doesn't have a lot of experience. So kind of surprised me on the final phase that they didn't take a quarterback with some level of NFL experience just to have in the quarterback room. So they're one of the teams that makes me think that they could possibly be looking for, if not a starting quarterback, at least somebody with NFL experience just to have in that quarterback room. So they're their possibility for the supplemental draft or beyond of adding another quarterback to the mix. One one situation that sticks out to me as far as quarterback goes is New York. Being that I follow the New York Hitmen, I saw, you know, their starting quarterback ended up being Charles Pileri, and no disrespect to him, but he didn't come into the league with any strong experience in either the CFL, the Arena League, or obviously in the NFL. Right. And this and this go around, the New York Guardians team has Matt McGloin who's a veteran NFL quarterback with experience running NFL offenses and with some level of success and a good background in college. So you want a veteran in the room if he's not starting you or if he is starting, you want a veteran in the room that can actually has experience and can it's important for the quality to play, but it's also important for the competitive competitiveness of a team. Do you think some players dropped out of the draft? because of the rumors about low pay levels that came out just prior to the draft? That's an interesting question. It's a good one, too. Difficult to say, because a lot of it is conjecture. It's not great for the league that there was kind of a narrative painted a week prior to the draft that all these players are not going to be paid well. I suppose it's possible that there's a few veterans out there that are still holding out, and I'm sure this is the case, that are still holding out for NFL opportunities. So 55K, if that's the number, is not enticing to an NFL veteran like, say, uh, Terrell Pryor, wide receiver, who got cut uh, by the Jaguars at uh, NFL Cuts. He might be still holding out, hoping that a team gives him a shot there. Um, I don't think it affected the pool greatly. I think the fact that the XFL is paying their top-end quarterbacks a significant amount of money above the NFL rookie minimum and 495K, if that's the exact number uh, per a 10-game season. It's a very good salary, especially for quarterbacks that are not being given the opportunity to start and play in the NFL. They can springboard that to uh, longer careers and more money, sort of like Tommy Maddox did in the original XFL. I think people will always remember the Tommy Maddox factor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard to forget. I mean, you can also, you know, there's so many quarterbacks that benefited from playing in what people would call a secondary pro league, obviously Oliver right. Luck ran NFL Europe for over 10 years, and that list is extensive as far as quarterback goes. Like everybody knows Kurt Warner, but there was Brad Johnson who won a Super Bowl. There's John Kitna, there's Jake DeLome, and there are plenty of other quality players in that league, Adam Vinatieri and others that benefited from playing in that league. And so, um, I think you have to weigh as a quarterback if you're if you're a young quarterback who's on a practice squad, like Philip Walker, for example, who just got assigned to the Houston Roughnecks. He spent three years in the NFL, and every one of those years he was on a practice squad. And he was just on an NFL roster a month ago. He was on the Colts practice squad in September. So you have to weigh, when am I going to get an opportunity to be a quarterback, be a pro football quarterback, to start, have an opportunity to grow and become a better player? And so guys like Philip Walker and Cardell Jones, they could have waited on the sidelines and waited to see if they another practice squad opportunity could come up or 
They could get lucky and maybe get on a roster injury here and there, which is possible. It's happened in the NFL this year. But they decided, you know, I'm betting on myself. I want an opportunity. I can make a good salary. I can play on ABC, ESPN, and Fox every week. I can play on good teams with good coaching staffs. Have an opportunity to actually prove that I'm a starting pro football quarterback. And so these are things that the players have to weigh in terms of whether or not they would choose the XFL. I think the quarterback position, I think it's a good call. If a quarterback has to decide whether or not he's going to sign a futures contract at the end of the NFL season or come to the XFL and actually play and make a good salary, I think I'm choosing the XFL option, but that's just me. Well, that is the Tommy Maddox factor. The fact that he was able to go to the XFL and prove that he could be a star, which gave him a shot back at the NFL. Yeah, he extended his career greatly. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, for all the flack the original XFL gets in terms of the talent level, and some of that is justified. There's a lot of XFL players that ended up extending their careers, playing six, seven years in the NFL. Everybody knows about Rod Smart and Tommy Maddox, but there was Kelly Herndon. There was uh, Benny Anderson, offensive lineman, ended up being a starter in the National Football League for the Ravens and the Bills. Uh, Mike Fury, who ended up being second in the NFC in receptions with 95 catches. So there's a, a pro bowler. So there's a lot of players that benefit from these leagues and actually have an opportunity to become more than what they are now because they haven't had a chance or an opportunity once you're in the nfl and you're in the system and you're pegged as a backup player or a fringe player it's very difficult to get above that to break through the only way you break through is if you actually get on the field and prove how good you actually are i think uh lee can benefit players and tommy maddox you know was a first round pick was put in a tough spot he was asked to replace john elway one of the all-time great quarterbacks and then he kind of washed out people you know he wasn't ready for it or people weren't ready for him he kind of washed out and then he gets an opportunity in the xfl which ironically enough he wasn't the first pick in that draft of course he was what yeah he would be scott milanovich was but tommy maddox would be what today's equivalent was a phase five player um you know basically was taken as a backup by the los angeles extreme by al luganville who did a terrific job and then obviously maddox was able to extend his career become nfl comeback player of the year and he was able to play out his career. And instead of his legacy being that he was a bust, he ended up being, hey, this guy was a good quarterback. Right. So, I mean, it changed for him. So I, I can definitely see why guys like Philip Walker and Cardell Jones and others are like, you know, I'm taking this XFL option. Cardell Jones had a terrific uh, summer playing for the Chargers. His staff raved about him. Just ran into a situation where they have Philip Rivers. They have Tyrod Taylor, who's a terrific backup. And they have draft capital invested in Easton Stick. So Cardell Jones is basically left on the outside looking in because they weren't going to carry four quarterbacks. And he knows that he's not going to get an opportunity. Any situation he goes to the NFL, he's going to be a third string guy. He's, he's going to have to hope for what happened in Pittsburgh where everybody gets hurt. Another guy who would have potentially been an XFL quarterback is Devlin Hodges, who was just starting Sunday Night Football last week. And that's great for him. But it's rare that you get that kind of opportunity where uh, – Everybody gets hurt, and then you get a chance to get on the field and show how good you really are. Yeah, it's funny how that works out, and it works out positively or negatively. depends on, I guess it must depend a little bit on luck, you know, uh, being in the right place at the right time. And Yeah, no question. no question. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the story of pro football for sure. There are a lot of guys, though, that don't get that opportunity. There are a lot of guys that are in the NFL right now. That's why the average NFL career has gone down to less than four years. It's three years now. Because a lot of players don't see their second contract. When it ends up, it, it's simple mathematics. 
every year over 400 play, college players come into the league and they take the jobs of the guys who've been backups for two or three years, have been playing special teams that haven't had an opportunity to be elevated up the depth chart. So that's why fans of football and uh, are always fans of these types of leagues because they realize there's so many talented players that just haven't gotten the opportunity or the chance to shine. And leagues like this uh, gives them that opportunity, give them that opportunity. Yeah, you know, that's why the XFL should change its uh, name from the XFL to the OFL and call itself the Opportunity Football League <laughs> because all these players are all looking for an opportunity and uh, the XFL is giving it to them. Yeah, you know, you got 2,016 players in the NFL if you count the 10-player practice squads along with the 53-man rosters. And there's a lot more uh, players out there that graduate every year from college and playing college football that don't even get into the NFL. It's only 1.6% of NCAA football players make it to the NFL every year. So you're talking about a lot of quality players, and it's a lot different the field now in terms of talent level than it was, say, 30 years ago. College resembles the pro game and vice versa. So, um, And all these programs are quality on every level. So, yeah, I'm happy for the players. There's a side of this, though, that there's a lot of players out there. You, when you follow this process, you see how many quality players are out there. But you also see, unfortunately, this side of it, because it's a numbers game, is how many players get left out of the mix. It's unfortunate. You know, there's a lot of young players out there that were in the pool that were not drafted. They had over a thousand players in the pool. So you feel bad for those guys. You just got to keep working hard and got to actually cross their fingers and hope that the XFL is a success. Because if it is, those doors will always be open to quality players. And if the XFL is a success to the point where they expand, the league has more teams, there'll be more opportunities for players. So we should look forward to more football opportunities for football players yes. in the future. <laughs> check and check. Right. So it was actually interesting in the draft how three, was it three teams that didn't pick a kicker? Yeah, it was, uh, I believe, yeah, offhand, it may have been three. I know for sure it was New York and uh, and D.C., I almost called them Washington, um, the D.C. defenders. Those two teams did not take kickers. And a lot of people were, like, puzzled as to why that's the case. But I think a lot of these teams were loading up on positional players, and they feel like they're going to address kicker and punter before minicamps start in December, which you got to make the assumption that um, those positions will be addressed in the supplemental draft, which is supposed to be in late November. So we'll wait to see how that goes. I know that some may, I was thinking some teams might actually just have a, a punter slash kicker because I know that's done in other in other leagues like the CFL. Yeah, that could very well be done. Um, I don't know about Hunter Niswander, who's one of the draft picks this weekend, um, this weekend, a couple days ago. And then Austin Rekov is also another player who can kick and punt that was drafted. So it's possible. I wouldn't rule it out. It's definitely something to consider. So and it helps with roster versatility. I know that's been suggested before in the NFL. There have been a couple of players that have been kicker punters and it's been su- suggested as a way to save a roster spot. So if you can do both, and that's very helpful for getting a roster spot for sure. We'll have to wait and see uh, what the, what, how that plays out. It'll, as usual, it's always interesting to uh, speculate and then see what happens. Now, some picks were a surprise. Like, for example, Sean Oakman went quite late. Right. I think the problem with Sean Oakman, I think the reason why, I mean, it's great that he got drafted. I think that's awesome. I think right. him, being, him being in L.A. with Pepper Johnson and Winston Moss and uh, Vince Amy, who's a former XFL player, those guys coaching him up, 
I think that's going to be helpful to him. The problem with Sean Oakman, besides the off-field issues that unfortunately he's gone through, is he hasn't really been a college-level player, obviously, or a pro-level player since he got out of Baylor. He's been playing indoor football. It's been a while. His last year in college, uh, his draft stock plummeted. Um, initially, second to last year in college, he was a dominant force, and some people projected that he'd be a first-round pick. His last year in college, he didn't play as well. So what ended up happening was a lot of people projected him for the third and fourth round, and then he had the off-field charges, and that took him off the board completely. Right. So he dropped, and he was a big name for sure, and there's a lot of potential there with him for sure. And I think he ended up in the right spot because he's got the right defensive coaches to coach him up, and he's got a lot to prove. So if he's ready to be a great pro player, he's going to get a chance to prove it. Yeah, he'll be fun to watch. No question about it. And that entire staff, um, just Winston is, you know, he's so entertaining. Um, I've never seen a draft call in my life where uh, a coach threatened to beat up his pit draft pick with the entire defensive staff. If he doesn't get 20 sacks, which is what Winston Moss did when he called Anthony right. Johnson, right? right. <laughs> so, yeah. He threatened him. He told Anthony Johnson, if you don't get 20 sacks in 10 in, uh, in 10 games, the entire staff's going to beat you down. So, right. um, <laughs> which, uh, Winston I, Moss is showing his personality right there. Yeah. He's showing his personality right there. So I think it's just going to be, they're going to be a fun team to watch. And Winston Moss is going to be very demanding, but he's very likable. And then obviously the other, a uh, great story that came out of L.A. was uh, Jeremiah Spicer ended up being right. drafted by the L.A. Wildcats. So that was great as well. Yeah, so I saw that. In fact, he went to Los Angeles in the 69th round. So he was their second last pick. Yeah, he just made it. He just made yeah, he it. He just and, made it. Yeah, and I wrote I wrote an article and obviously had an interview with him on yeah. the site there. Yeah. And, and Jeremiah is an interesting case because, and I think it shows the year, as we're approaching the year 2020 now, how much of a factor social media is and can be. Uh, in my article, I wrote about um, the fantastic running back for the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, how he was sleeping in a car with his family, um, was a two-star recruit, and was sending out his videos and tapes to every university that he could. He targeted Alabama. Alabama gave him a shot. He ended up being a great player for them um, and being drafted in the first round by the Raiders. If you had gone to him when he was in high school and he had told you, hey, I'm going to get into Alabama, you would have said, uh, you're crazy. And here he was. He's, he hustled. He put his tape out there. He put as much tape out there and he set his goals high. The same thing with Jeremiah Spicer. Um, Jeremiah Spicer, in this day and age of social media, promoted himself. He has an agent, but he promoted himself heavily. When he wasn't a part of the showcase invites and uh, Heather Carrots had a meet and greet, he went out of his way to go to the meet and greet and meet the coaches and meet the team president and put his yeah, name he, out he, there. He showed he, up at one of their meet and greets. Yeah. And that's how he <laughs> got invited to the L.A. showcase. Right. Because he put his name out there and he pushed hard. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. And Spicer doesn't have the background of other players that have had uh, more more uh, impressive college careers or have gone to, say, UCLA or USC or some big name school. He's a kid who has very limited playing experience, although he's dominated on a very small level, on the indoor level, and he's gotten opportunities on NFL teams of workouts. It's a testament to his drive and determination right. that he even got considered. And then for him to be drafted, it's just amazing that it got to the point that he got drafted 69th round or whatever. And you know, he's getting an opportunity. He's going to be one of 71, 
And he's going to have to prove himself when he gets into camp and uh, to that staff. He's got to be ready to go. I have a feeling he will be ready to go. I have a feeling he will he will go all out. And um, so he, that's just his nature. He's had a lot of he's been dealt some difficult hands in his entire life. And he's kind of, you know, he's used to adversity. So he's uh, so it's 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 a great story. It's a hopefully, you know, it, it's a success even if he had not been drafted just just to get to that level. But now that he's been drafted, he's an XFL player. He's a wildcat. Um, it's going to be fun to see how he progresses and how things go with him. So. Yeah, how a heck of a story if he made the week one roster. So we'll see what he, happens. He took things to another level, and it was all through his his drive. It is, he is a he is a guy who knows how to overcome adversity. We know that because he's brought himself to another level now. But what what interested me is on social media after they drafted him, they showed the 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 Wildcats war room calling Jeremiah and congratulating him, and they were all friendly like and. And maybe I'm a pessimist, hmm. and but the first thing that popped into my head was the movie Moneyball, where oh. Brad Pitt's character tells Jonah Hill's character that you should never be friends with players because you eventually <laughs> have to cut them. That's one of the all-time greatest sports movies ever. Very, 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 yeah. very underrated. Um, and I'm sure a lot of front office people love that film. And yes, that is true. You worry about that kind of situation. I there, hope but they don't have to cut them. Yeah, you know. And it might be hard. It would be very hard, but I guess it comes down to, you know, Jeremiah, you know, when he gets to that opportunity, he's going to, he's, he, he knows, he knows he's got to go in there in a linebacker room and compete with all the other linebackers that LA took. And yeah. then it's not over completely for a player if they do not make an exit. It sucks, no question, but if it's not over completely because there is Team Nine, which, you know, right. if Spicer ever got to that point, of being cut. I hate even speculating on that, but if it happened, he could theoretically be on team nine and be one step away from getting right back in the league. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, but it could, it could. So that was my next question. How will team nine be formed? Will it be comprised of cuts? Yeah, the way it's working out and the way Oliver Luck mentioned this in a post-draft interview with, uh, this is the XFL show. He said the big cut down day for the XFL will come at the end of the league wide training camp on uh, January 22nd. So Team 9 is going to come out of the cut-down day cuts. So the only way to the league is to funnel through Team 9. So basically you have to be on Team 9 during the season. And the reason why they're doing this is they're centralizing a group of free agents. And it's also a fiscally responsible move. Like in the NFL, when um, they have injury at one position, what they'll do is they'll fly in 10 different players for workouts. Now the NFL teams, they can afford to do that. But the XFL is trying to be smart financially here and have the players almost already in-house in Dallas training. So they don't have to, in the middle of a, a work week, send everybody over, pay for flights, do this, that, and back and forth. So uh, they want to have the players ready and the, all the coaches already know because they coach them during uh, minicamp and during training camp. And there isn't this, will he show up, when is he coming kind of thing. It's, they already have a short list. They already know who they want. And they can select from Team Nine. So players will be brought in, brought into uh, league rosters from Team Nine, and then Team Nine will be topped up as required. Yeah, then they'll replenish. Yeah, they'll replenish yeah. Team Nine as they go along. So, say for example, I mean it's football, so there's injuries all the time. So let's just say after week one, there's four significant injuries. Hopefully not, but it's just the way it goes in, in football. 
four players from Team 9 go into the league on those respective rosters. Then the league will continue to replenish, um, bringing four more players into Team 9, and those players will train and wait for their opportunity. It'll probably be players, you know, that are available out there, probably be players that got cut because there's going to be a significant amount of players cut because the roster is going to be go down from 71 to 52 eventually. So that's kind of the story there. But, yeah, I think this is – I think it's a good setup for the league just to, to make it cleaner, cleaner operations so people are not scrambling for players. People are assuming that the eight assigned quarterbacks have Tier 1 contracts. And do we know this for sure now? <sighs> you know, that's difficult to say because no official uh, contract information – has been released. The assumption is that they're all signed, and the also the the word going around is that the league assigned quarterbacks are making four hundred ninety-five thousand dollars per season. Now, how accurate that is, I have heard that it's in that ballpark. So, uh, right. these players are signed league contracts, and w- what you can see, which is really a beautiful thing and a smart move by the league, and great move by the players, is you can see all the assigned quarterbacks who have been making the rounds. They're in the communities. They're, yeah. me- they're meeting with people locally. They're promoting the league. They're being the faces of these franchises. They're calling season ticket holders uh, and talking to them personally. So, and uh, that you've seen that with Cardell Jones and Matt McGloin and others. So, I think the, you know, I think they're being paid more for a reason. And so, um, obviously, the importance of the position, but they're also be expected to be faces of their franchises. So, and uh, to market the team and help it locally. Yeah, yeah. I saw Brandon Silver's having coffee in Seattle and, and going up the Space Needle for a view of the city. <laughs> I thought that was cute. <laughs> it was great. You know, and they're doing the radio rounds, they're doing the television rounds and yeah. promoting the league heavily on social media. And, you know, and, and the league needs that. The league needs to build up its um, its notoriety and attention in each of these markets. And when, when the fan bases see how friendly these players are, how they're meeting you at the meet and greets and uh, how excited they are to be in the league, it's infectious, so right. it, it, it helps for sure. Yeah, they're doing a good job promoting promoting the especially promoting these these quarterbacks who are not stars in the in the NFL. And I mean right. that was pointed out uh, in last week's podcast by Greg Parks that it's hard for them to put on a big blitz and, and a big show about these quarterbacks because a lot of people would say, well, what? Who are they? And they right. know that, so they're trying to get them connected to the city and show. And, and make and make a positive impact in that way without saying, oh, well, look, we have because they can't say we have a star quarterback. Right. Right. Because the and NFL well, fans would would balk at that. Yeah, there's no question about it. In this day and age where we're in, in 2019, as opposed to, let's just say, 2001 with the original XFL, fans know more because uh, about football players since the advent of social media and all that. So a lot of people know who, at least diehard football fans, know who Brandon Silvers is. Obviously, people know who Cardell Jones is, et cetera, right. et cetera. Whereas 20 years ago or so, people would have said, who is this guy? Although you're going to get a quite a, you know, it's owl season when it comes to the XFL. And what I mean by that is you're going to get quite a few critics of the league that are going to say, who is that and who is right. this? And I never right. heard of this guy. So it does help get these. And I think what the league needs to do, and they've already started on this, is they need to through their website, through all their media channels, is they need to let the public know who these players are. Because a lot of the diehard football fans know who these players are. But a lot of the mainstream football fans will see somebody like a Jaquan Gardner, uh, running back who got drafted by Seattle, and they'll say, who the hell's that guy? 
And if you go and look at his background and find out the small school he was at and how dominant he was in college and how well he played last year in the, or this year, I guess, in the AAF, you go, wow, this guy's good. So I think the league needs to set up bios on their site. I think they need to continue to do the videos they've been doing. And I think they need to continue to do local outreach with the players. Because before the league even kicks off, you want the fan bases that are following the league to know who these players are. And then, obviously, what they do on the football field will dictate how much of a star they actually are. There are going to be players that a lot of people don't know that go on the field and dominate and make themselves stars. So that's going to be a fun part of the process. But uh, I do like the way they're, they're having these players market themselves and market the teams. I think they're off to a good start. There's certainly promoting the players with the right tone and at the right level uh, that they should be, that that fans will uh, react to or respond to. Now, I've got a really good question for you, and I really don't think you know the answer, but All right. I'm going to ask it. So we know that there's other tiered players that are going to be on these rosters. Do we know how a player is going to be allocated to a tier and get basically given a, a higher paying contract than, than their peers? Wow. You know, it's the, the case of the disappearing tiers here. I think, yeah, because I think where the league initially had to set up for separate tiers, there may be a baseline tier for the baseline player, obvious tier for the tier one quarterback, maybe a different salary for special teams players. I don't know. Um, I don't think now until they make it official, obviously, there's a lot of stuff floating out there, but it's a lot of speculation. But I, I don't think the league is going to be doing four separate tiers. I think one of the big things that happened, obviously, in the last few months was the departure of the Alliance of American Football. I think that changed the game a little bit. Um, even though Oliver Luck went on CBS Sports Radio and said that even if the Alliance was still around, the ex- their contracts were not going to prohibit those players from coming into the XFL. I think the XFL is actually, even though they have hundreds of millions of dollars invested, in the company from its founder. I think they're trying to be fiscally responsible and I don't think they're going to compete against themselves and start playing, paying players $500,000 a year just for the heck of it. So I, I think that, I think that's a big factor in all this. I think anytime you have a startup business or a startup league, you're going to be in the red in year one. So the cost of, of getting the operation up and running is going to outweigh uh, the profits that come in. It's going to take time. It's, you know, it's, it, you'd love for it to have be a smashing success and for profits to be coming from every direction possible. But I think in the beginning, at least, it takes time. So I think the XFL, their salary levels are, are you know, for some people out there, they're like, you know, they might be disappointed that a player isn't being paid uh, $500,000 every player on the team. But in, in, uh, if you're going to be responsible and if you actually want the league to exist, you can do that. And then some people will downgrade or down talk the level of pay. But when you look at it, if a player's making 55K a season, an average player in the XFL, and he's getting activation and victory bonuses, and he's playing pro football in the United States, and he's playing for great teams on ABC, Fox, and ESPN every week, it's that option versus what exactly? I think if the alliance was around, those salaries might have been a little higher to compete and since they're not uh the xfl is um they would be competing against themselves if they up the pay uh in a ridiculous uh fashion 
So I, I think that it's kind of an interesting issue there. I do. I believe the tiers are gone. So that's my opinion. I believe there are maybe three tiers, specific tiers. But overall, the level of tiers that we heard many months ago, I think that might not be around anymore. We'll find out the reality when they start issuing contracts to all the rest of to all the uh, drafted players, which will be at the start of their first mini camp. Right. But as a hypothetical, Mark, as a hypothetical, now that you got me thinking about it, if they had a second tier, let's say after the quarterbacks, I think you would have to do it where uh, the second tier would be your first round pick. So you'd have to do it by order of the draft. So unless, you know, there's a pool of players that are coming into the league that we're unaware of that the league wants to give second tier contracts to, I think in in, uh, any fair system, the players are like in like in the NFL draft for, for say you get you get uh, more money if you're drafting the second round than you would if you're drafting the sixth round, etc. Right. So I, if there was a tier in place, a second tier, there is a top tier. We know that the quarterbacks. But if there was a second, third tier, fourth tier, it would probably be term, determined by that, by how high you were drafted. Well, that's interesting. In fact, it, uh, I agree with you. That would be a good way to do it. And I guess we'll have to wait and see if that's the way it plays out. Right. But there's a one question that I have to ask. So what do you think is going on with John Manziel, the player formerly known as Johnny Football? Oh, Johnny Manziel. I'll say this. If it was if it was my league, um, I'd have Johnny Manziel in the league or in the pool. If it was my team, I'm not so sure if Johnny Manziel would make my roster. If it was my specific team, that's now I don't think Johnny Manziel. The problem with Johnny Manziel is obviously everybody knows about his college career. Everybody knows about the popularity the player has. He was good enough to be drafted in the first round of an NFL draft, so he was of high quality coming out of college. But since he became a pro, he's been a bad professional quarterback. And I don't just mean that on the field. I mean that off the field. He uh, burned his bridges and yeah. uh, with his with his not only forget about the front office and the coaches. He burned his bridges with his uh, Cleveland Browns teammates, like players like who are going to be Hall of Famers, like Joe Thomas talked about how Johnny Manziel lost all respect from the players because he didn't treat the, the league seriously. Then Johnny was given a second chance with the CFL and the CFL. He could have become a star there if he had any patience, even though that's a difficult league for a quarterback to make the transition. That's a lot different when you're trying to get two downs for 10 yards than it is three downs. You got a punt on every third down in the CFL. Um, but Johnny Manziel struggled up there on the field and then did not meet his commitments off the field. And he found a way to get out. And Daryl Moose Johnson, who's a very respected football man, who's running the uh, Dallas Renegades front office, um, he passed on Johnny Manziel and the Alliance when he was available to them uh, through the territorial system that they had in place when Moose was in San Antonio. And then when he was asked about him leading into the XFL draft, Moose said he wouldn't want him on his roster at all. So, And in, in the alliance, Moose said he didn't want Johnny Manziel on the commanders because he didn't want him in his quarterback room. What does that tell you? He didn't even want him on his team as a third-string quarterback. Now, from a name value standpoint, from a talent standpoint, just physical talent, I think I would give him an opportunity to be in the league. But it's pretty obvious as, as we watch the XFL draft unfold and how these teams ran it that this is a football league, that they didn't make draft picks based on making headlines or let's draft Antonio Brown just so we can get the headlines all over the place uh, just for the hell of it. So Johnny Manziel, players like him were, were not taken because they just didn't fit with these particular teams. Now, could he be involved in the league in the future? Sure. But I think it was a little bit 
um, it was a little bit off to say that he's a guaranteed uh, number one quarterback on a team. Obviously, these other teams see these other quarterbacks that they were assigned and the quarterbacks that they are drafted as better options, not only for them on the field, but off the field as well. And that's unfortunate. Maybe Johnny Menzel can repair his image if he gets the right opportunity. But that's my personal take on him. I just I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. And the problem is not only not being a good quarterback, the problem is being a good teammate and being a good football player. That's harsh, but he's kind of earned that through his actions. If he's not going to be the starter, then they probably don't want him as a backup. That's the problem. That's the biggest problem with John, that's the biggest problem with Johnny Manziel because in theory, you're like, okay, you've got a quarterback with a decent arm who's mobile. Well, that's never a bad thing to have as a backup quarterback. Somebody who can come off the bench and you know can get some first downs for you and help you out, but maybe be used in specific situations. So there is a there is a skill set in Johnny Manziel's toolbox that can be helpful to a team. The problem is people don't trust him. Football people don't trust Johnny Manziel, and it's it's what he did in Canada. And it's what he did in the NFL. Uh, his lifestyle choices off the field. Maybe he's cleaned a lot of that up since then. But, you know, your reception, your reputation stays with you. And so it's not impossible for him to still get in the league, maybe a supplemental draft or sometime in the future. But for the moment, you know, it's uh, the door wasn't uh, they didn't spring the door wide open for him. That's for sure. These football teams made football decisions, what they felt was best for their team. And then that's just the way it went. Well, we'll wait and see what happens with Johnny football. Mike, I'd like to thank you for joining us today, and I know we will call on you again because uh, your football insight is, uh, is wonderful. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks again to our guests, Andre Williams and Mike Mitchell. I hope you enjoyed today's interviews. You are welcome to come back next Sunday, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Before I go, I would like to congratulate former podcast guests, cornerback Trovon Reed and running back Nico Evans, as Trovon was drafted to the St. Louis Battlehawks and Nico was drafted to the LA Wildcats. I would also like to send a positive vibe out to our former podcast guests who were not picked in the draft. Jacob Oniechi, Kalias Robertson, Quincy Redman, Eric Bizel, and Carlos Thompson. You were all hard workers very talented, and have proven skills. Keep putting yourself out there, and your opportunity will come. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. (laughs) 